Welcome to Will Watches Corey's Canon, a bi-weekly podcast where my friend Will watches movies from my personal canon and tells me what he thinks. I'm Will. And I'm Corey. Welcome to the show. On today's episode, we are going to be discussing John Carpenter's They Live. These things want, and why are they here? You still don't get it, do you, boy? They have recruited the rich and the powerful. They're running the whole show. Wake up! They're all about you, all around you. Blinded us to the truth. Take a look. They are safe as long as they are not discovered. I don't know what they are or where they came from, but we gotta stop them. Stay away from me. Put these on. They have us. Look at them, they're everywhere. We have no other choice. I don't like this one. Leave it alone, man. It ain't none of my business. Ain't none of yours. We have been lulled into a trance. Listen to what I'm saying to you. We're in trouble. The whole world's in trouble. Control us! You're sending some kind of signals on TV sets. I've got one that can see. Mama don't like Tattletail. So this movie is about a, an unnamed character who is in the credits uh, given the name John Nada, um, which is actually uh, from the the short story that this is based on, Eight O'clock in the Morning. The main character's name was George Nada, um, but obviously he's supposed to be sort of like an unnamed hero. Um, he is homeless. Um, he kind of wanders into a shanty town where he befriends uh, Frank Armitage, uh, Keith David's character, who was named after. Uh, a character from an H.P. Lovecraft story, Armitage, the last name. Um, so he he wanders into this homeless shanty town where he gets taken into the community. He's a hardworking man. He works at a construction site. Um, ends up stumbling upon some sunglasses that allow him to see that our world is controlled by aliens who have littered our world with subliminal messages in our advertising, our magazines, um, television, and these are, uh, you know, obey, consume, these sorts of things. Um, they, John joins the resistance, fights back against the aliens, and dies at the end in order to stop the signal. And that's the plot of They Live. But not before he gives the finger. He says, no thanks, aliens. I'm going to die for this. And he shows his... He shows his attitude and his rebellion with his explicit gesture. Um, it's a pretty powerful moment. So, um, <laughs> as per usual uh, with the show, Will has not seen this movie. Um, well, I have now. Well, yes, Will had not seen this movie prior to the recording of this. Well, no, he saw it before this. Yeah. Uh, let me just find a way to reword this. He did not. He had not seen this movie until I suggested we cover it on this episode. Um, and not only that, Will Will just finished the movie minutes before this podcast was recorded, is being recorded. Mm -hmm. And um, again, uh, as part of the show, I don't know what he thought. We're gonna we're gonna find out live. Um, I hated it. So, without further ado, Will's verdict. It's it's strange. I don't I don't know if I have a verdict. I feel like I I. I Similar to last week, talking about, or two weeks ago, whenever it was, talking about Blade Runner. Mm -hmm. I can't make a strict, sort of definite, 
pronouncement, like my verdict is this, because both of these movies are very different things at different times Mm -hmm. in the movie. And, and of course, depending on when you've seen them, um, I, I did not hate it. I was entertained. I stayed with it and it, it, it's the right kind of campiness, you know, it's like, you know, it's campy, but it knows it and it's not trying to, it's not trying to do too much for what it is. Um, one of the first things I noticed was if I have a criticism and I don't even know if I haven't really had enough time to, to, uh, really know how I feel about this, but it's that there's not really, it's not even like an allegory, you Mm -hmm. know, it's not like a metaphor. It's not like this is that. No, it's pretty much, it's like, this is this, right. You know, um, it may be aliens, but it's, Still right, so so straightforward. so if it's if it's going to be an allegory, it's like oh you've got like uh, you know working class people or or underclass people fighting the upper class. You know, there's a class warfare going on, but instead of it being like you know some metaphor fighting aliens and the aliens are the upper class, it's like. The lower class. Right. Like there's no, no, there's no symbolism there. Exactly. It's, like it's very clear about its right. intentions. Yeah. Right, right, right. Um, so that, that, like I said, that's just like my first, you know, in any way critical thought was like, this is not really a metaphor. Mm-hmm. It's just like the, the only metaphor is the aliens. Right. Are, you know, sort of yuppie. A stand in for, and especially the, you know, this is obviously a, uh, an argument against Reagan and Reaganomics and the, the consumerism of that era. Of course, it's very relevant to us still, I think, but, um, it was a very calculated, um, attempt to argue against that sort of thinking. Sure. And, and I think you see that when I, when I saw that this movie was made in 1988, Mm -hmm. just a bunch of examples of like, um, our discomfort and growing knowledge of sort of yuppie culture and the -hmm. the mega rich starts to, you know, it starts uh, appearing on film and in literature. The first thing I thought of was uh, Brett Easton Ellis's yeah. American Psycho, mm-hmm. um, which, which in a lot of ways is very similar to David Foster Wallace's short story, girl with curious hair. Mm-hmm. Again, it's like the sort of young Republican as psychopath right. sort of thing. Uh, but also Metropolitan, the Whit Stillman film from 1990, where it's like future yuppies, mm-hmm. um, just sort of, sitting around, you know, having pseudo intellectual conversations. Um, all that to say, uh, oh, wall street is yeah, another example yeah. of that. And another movie I kept thinking about watching this was die hard. Cause it came out in the same year. Mm-hmm. Both movies strangely end on the top of buildings. Mm-hmm. Uh, but also you have that, uh, I think it's Ellis. The character's name is Ellis mm-hmm. in, in die hard. Who's like the quintessential. Oh yeah. yeah yuppie, yeah. uh, which you are going to be for Halloween this year, if I'm not mistaken. I forgot. That's or was that supposed to be this last year? That Halloween? was last year. Okay. Hans, Bobby, 
I'm your white knight. It's a Rolex. I love that character. He's uh, great. Yeah. The but, invisible cocaine on his nose, which is a nice right. touch. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, anyway, so the yuppie, um, did, did we say Wall Street? You uh, did. Yeah, yeah. Like uh, the yuppie in the late 80s, early 90s is like, we just keep finding new ways to put that on screen because we, we mm-hmm. just hate it. Right. Um, so, and, and that's so, it's not even like, I don't even want to say it's very clear because it's it's not obscured at all. Like that's the I think the first alien you see is like the old rich white guy at the magazine stand. Yeah, in, I think so. live, and then right? like, yeah, because the first thing he sees is uh, Obey. Right, it's behind, I think it's on a billboard behind uh-huh. uh, that guy. So yuppies everywhere. Like I said, it's not even a metaphor. It's just mm-hmm. the aliens are the yuppies. Right. Um, I'm saying yuppies a lot. Yep. You beat me to it. Um, <laughs> so, well, yeah. tell me a little bit about uh, you expressed some interest in this movie prior to the show based on uh, Zizek, right? Yeah. So talk to me a little bit about what what you had read from Zizek or heard from Zizek that made you want to see this film and how now do you feel about that? Right. So the, I'd never even heard of this movie until I saw Sophie Fine's Sophie Fiennes' documentary, The mm-hmm. Pervert's Guide to Ideology, which is a great documentary everyone should watch. It'll change the way you watch movies. End of advertisement. Um, okay. I believe <laughs> I believe the first film he discusses in that documentary is They Live. And he basically uses it to explain the concept of ideology. Mm-hmm. And he has uh, really nice things to say about the movie. Honestly, he thinks it's sort of underrated in its um, and and it's good in its pessimism. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think the movie actually, you know, says there's a, there's a line about pessimism about oh, it's the politician giving a speech. He's like, there is no room for pessimism. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but but what Zizek is saying about the movie's pessimism is that. Okay, obviously, um, he says the the sunglasses work as a critique of ideology. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you put these glasses on and you can see reality for what it is. Like, mm-hmm. this is the truth. Um, but what he says is, is what you would expect in a critique of ideology is that everyone's always wearing sunglasses and that if you remove the, that lens, that mm-hmm. perspective, then you will get at the actual truth. But that's not how it is. It's the opposite. Everyone's walking around without sunglasses. And the person who sees the, I'm doing air quotes, truth is, uh, you know, the people with with the uh, added perspective, mm-hmm. you know, with, with the glasses. Um, and so he gives the movie credit for s- understanding that there is kind of nothing outside ideology. Every, he says, as soon as you think you're outside of ideology, that position itself is a new ideology. Mm-hmm. Um, and so there, there really is no, there's no true truth, you know, capital T truth mm-hmm. because in this in this film, the people who see the truth have to have to gain, you know, the the perspective, and I think that's very interesting, and it and it 
to me, it, it reminds me of the sort of idea of like the philosophy of as if mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's almost pragmatic. It's saying it's better if we, if we see the world through this lens, mm-hmm. because that way people won't be exploited and, and things will be more evenly distributed and, you know, the sort of Marxist critique of capitalist society, dot, dot, dot. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it understands that this is only one vision of reality. Right. At least that's what Zizek thinks mm-hmm. because it, and his point is, like I said, if you were just going to suggest that there is truth, then the glasses would play the opposite role and right. everyone would have been wearing glasses and, and not as a uh, mission would have been to remove the glasses rather than to make people put them on. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I definitely paid attention because Zizek mentions it to the length of the fight scene between Frank yes. and Infamous John. fight scene. Yeah, Notorious. it, go, it goes five on. five minutes and 20 seconds Yeah, long. it goes yeah. on forever. And Zizek mentions it because, because it's, you know, in his interpretation, it's a key scene because, mm-hmm. and, and if, you, if, you, if you think of it this way, watching it, it's, it's kind of powerful because I, I can sort of empathize with his frustration or rage um, at Frank, when you know when you just know you're that right, willful ignorance. When you know you're right, yeah. and 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 someone just will not, for whatever reason, whether fear mm-hmm. or or whatever it is, just will not look at, uh, at things in a in a new way. Yeah, uh, because because it's scary or or really because it's unpleasant. Mm-hmm. I thought the movie was really smart uh, in some ways. Uh, when Frank's talking about, you know, he he's got a wife and kids. He doesn't have, basically, he doesn't have time for it. He doesn't want mm-hmm. to rock the boat because uh, it's it really he's taking a very conservative position. I should right. conserve what I have. Mm-hmm. Uh, interestingly, though, his family's like not around. They're in Detroit. Yeah, he's like right? he has moved. He is in this unnamed city to make money f- to support them, but they're not there. Right, which I think is a commentary on you know, this, the way America is where mm-hmm. the, the father leaves the home, however many hours a week, never sees his right. family. And, and somehow this is all in service of the family. Yeah. And it's sort of a, everything in, everything in this movie is dialed up to 11. In that case, that is another example of that because you've got a, you have a father who's going to work to support his children, but he's literally going to another town. He's having to live away from them, mm-hmm. but he's doing the same thing. And it's, I think you're right. It is sort of a, a comment on the working man, the working man who supports his family. And it's just, this is even further re- like exaggerated and like amplified. And it's like, he's been beaten down so mm-hmm. badly his whole life that he just wants to hang on to whatever scraps. Yeah. Despite, you know, he can you know and it, you know, there's so many um, analogs to this that we could think of any, any kind of blatant truth that is right in your face, but the, the desperation to hold on to the norm to protect what is comfortable, uh, is the, then you get a five and a half minute fight scene. Um, and it is, I think that scene is very powerful and it's something well, I, that sticks, it sticks with me always. Cause it has always sort of represented that, um, the fight between two, ideologies and each person just not being willing to give up like that's why it goes on so long it's just and it's because there's so much at stake for each one of them exactly especially especially frank wait hey 
You better find yourself someplace to hide and keep praying nobody ever finds you. Try these on. Look, you crazy mother. Put these on. Hey! Stay away from me! I'm telling you, you dumb son of a bitch! <laughs> Trying to save you and your family's life. You couldn't even save your own! <laughs> I'm giving you a choice. Either put on these glasses or start eating that trash can. Not this year. Okay. Right. I mean, he's having to just like he's giving up everything. Yeah, as soon as he puts the glasses on, he has to change his entire mm -hmm. orientation to the world. Well, it's like we talked about um, on the last episode with if, if we're, if Deckard was having to admit that he's a replicant that had, that changes everything right. fundamentally about his entire existence. Mm -hmm. And the same for Frank in this moment, like he to admit and not even to admit that it's real. He won't even look, you know, like he's not even, he's not even going to take that step to. And it's like, he knows because yeah. why would he, why would he go through the prob the, the trouble of having this enormous fight? Right. If he didn't know that there was something at stake here. Exactly. Cause he, they're not, they're not fighting to talk about it. They're fighting for him to put the glasses on. I think a perfect example of this, this sort of denial uh, and sort of fundamental conservatism is uh, in the last election with um, with Hillary Clinton becoming mm -hmm. the uh, the Democratic nominee, who's uh, by all accounts kind of middle of the road mm -hmm. uh, at best. You know, she has flip-flopped on like gay marriage and right. has voted for every war there ever was. Um, and somehow this is the liberal. Right. And, and so – because she seemed like the safe bet because of name recognition, mm. um, she's sort of the establishment Democrat. Um, and instead of picking the actual Democrat or the actual liberal, Bernie Sanders, the Dem Democrats lose. Right. Uh, because there was this fear of actually trying something new. Mm -hmm. um, Putting on the glasses. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. Let's let's put on the Bernie glasses. Mm -hmm. um, but but people refuse to do that. Um just the idea of of sort of fighting fighting for your old perspective mm -hmm. even though you know there's something new to to yeah. be to be and and that you may benefit from but you may mm -hmm. you may have to change that's really what it is yeah. frank doesn't want to change he just doesn't want to change yeah right. carpenter uh said about this movie he said it's the only documentary i ever made um, because it's like for him, it, it is the most overtly political movie he's ever made. His movies have always had political subtext and there have been, and even important folk focal points are political in nature. But this one, like you said, it's very on the surface. He's not concerned with creating, uh, metaphors or symbols he like he does a little bit like right. just enough to create a premise that might be interesting to people <laughs> right. beyond a, you know just a a movie about uh, political change or, right. or 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 adopting new ideologies just enough and I think that something that we talked about that he is very intentional about is making this he leans into the B movie nature of or or the B movie aspects of this of this movie very very intentionally because mm -hmm. you you have up until this point 
he had worked with uh, Kurt Russell three times in in a row with Escape from New York, The Thing, and Big Trouble in Little China. And he wrote this role with Kurt Russell in mind. It's a Kurt Russell role. It's the, you know, everyman hero that is very uh, sort of, it, it would have worked. And he even thought about doing, like working with Kurt Russell. But then instead of Kurt Russell, he gets basically the cartoon version of Kurt Russell with Roddy Piper, mm. who was at the peak of his wrestling career. So he's huge. He's like this beefed up dude. His hair is ridiculous. It's like Kurt Russell's hair, but like, even more it you know like everything about this movie is like one step beyond right so the you know and then again like the fight scene uh, it's a fight scene that we would see in a movie sure but it's also like five times longer well and it's and it's uh that's another thing i noticed right off is is in the early scene where the where the shanty town or whatever is getting raided mm-hmm. and bulldozed and they're beating the shit out of like the priest and stuff yeah um the fights are ridiculous. Mm-hmm. Like that's it's some of the worst. I mean, if you if you were going to judge it against like a Bourne movie or right. or you know some sort of act like The Matrix or something, mm-hmm. you'd say it's a terrible fight scene. Absolutely. Uh, but like you said, he this is a self consciously campy. Yeah, movie. he's and, not and going even, for realism here. Even down to the effects, and it's funny because there's a review uh, from a gentleman in the Washington Post. I can't remember his name. That he reviewed it and and said the movie has terrible visual effects. And yes, it does. It does on purpose. Because we're talking about the guy who made The Thing, which I don't, know, I don't think you've seen it. But no, I th- that's I think something, it's on the list. It's, it, yeah, and it definitely needs yeah. to be. It has the most incredible practical effects that I've ever seen in a movie. This is a director who is deeply invested in effects work and like making things realistic and making them work. The guy who made the thing would not make a movie with like subpar practical effects or effects in any way. He would work to make them really great unless he was doing it on purpose. The aliens look ridiculous. They look like they're people in rubber masks. The fight scenes are ridiculous. The dialogue, the the catchphrases, and that's their I came car- here to do two things. Exactly. Chew bubblegum and, and kick, kick ass. ass. Yeah. And what's so funny is what? You've got somebody who I think he used Roddy Piper perfectly because one thing, Roddy Piper wrote that dialogue, which is a funny thing in comparison to our thing from last time with Rutger Hauer writing this beautiful speech, and this is what Roddy Piper writes. I have come here to chew bubblegum and kick ass. And I'm all out of bubblegum. But it was unused dialogue that he had from from wrestling. He said it was something that he was going to use, and he didn't. And so Carpenter uses that. But then also when they were on the press tour after the movie was released, Carpenter told Piper that he should talk about how this is a movie um, uh, talking about the dangers of Reaganomics. And Roddy Piper was like, I have a green card. I don't want to shake the boat. And honestly, I think Reagan's kind of a nice guy. So the actor is in no way invested in the political nature of the film, but Carpenter uses him anyway. Like as mm-hmm. a, you know, he's, he's a stand in for, he is there to, to embody this ridiculous kind of hero that even Carpenter himself had been working with to like, to make his movies. And this movie is just the most, absurd version of all of those things. The the violence in that scene is insane. He just starts shotgunning people in a bank police. The like he immediately makes the transition into, 
okay, they're aliens. I'm going to kill all of them. I noticed that too, that one of the first things I said, uh, Jensi and I were watching, I said, man, how I miss the, uh, fictional, unapologetic gun violence of 1980s movies. Yeah. Uh, and I think that this movie is not only a comment on the, all of the political things that we've talked about pre prior to this, but also that idea of movie making at the time, this is the age of Stallone and, and Schwarzenegger where they were at the height of their game. These big muscly dudes who kill indiscriminately, who we cheer when they gun down people mm-hmm. and we're kind of being manipulated in this moment to cheer for this guy who's gunning down people in a bank. And, and yeah, it's right. in but, service of, of, of this message, but it's right. still, but what's interesting, doesn't he just stumble into the bank? Yeah. He, he doesn't. Just, and then as soon as he realizes that he's a guy with a gun in the bank, he's like, Oh, I guess I'm going to fuck some shit up. This like, is what I need to do now. Right. Yeah. It's, it's not about, he has no intention of being there, but it's like, well, I'm here. I should kill every, all the aliens. Right. Uh, yeah. So uh, talking about sort of leaning into the campiness of it, uh, it reminds me of an article I read about uh, M. Night Shyamalan's The Happening, mm-hmm. where everyone just took a giant shit on that movie, yeah. uh, including me. And like five or six years after it came out, I read an article that was published before the movie came out mm-hmm. with M. Night Shyamalan saying, we really wanted to make just like a really good B movie, mm-hmm. which changes everything. Absolutely. Because if you, I mean, and it made me feel better, mm-hmm. honestly, because if you watch, especially his earlier stuff, it's like, I mean, The Sixth Sense is a classic. Unbreakable is a classic. Right. I don't think, I mean, people talk a bunch of shit about the village and lady in the water mm-hmm. i stand by him i like him i don't care fuck off uh no i i think the village i love the village yeah. Every, i mean the end sure but everything before that is so good that it's yeah. it doesn't matter to me but and and i so i think you don't just go from making awesome movies to just laughably yeah i mean like terribly acted where mm-hmm. mark Wahlberg, there's like a meme or something where he's he, running from wind and right? he's just like what mm-hmm. no it was just the, the worst acting well, and, and if he's playing like an eighth grade science teacher and he's like the buffest goddamn person right. of all time like it's yeah honestly i think that's the exact same thing that we're dealing with here because carpenter despite possibly being lumped into a B movie campy director, his movies are largely anything, but like he works within genres that are generally associated with those sorts of things. But, and I'll, I'll reference the thing again, that is a brilliantly crafted, uh, science fiction horror film that is in no way, there is nothing about that movie that's campy. The performances are gritty and real and raw. And the movie is very intentional and then you you know like even the movies that are like kind of high concept escape from new york it's got some silly moments but again it's very serious assault on precinct 13 his first big movie it's it's working with familiar genre elements but he's still trying he's making real movies like he's not trying to make silly things mm-hmm. and so it's just as unbelievable for me for him to have made this, for anyone to see this movie and think like, oh man, what happened? Nothing happened. He did it on purpose. You know, like, the, and I think that it's the same kind of thing. Like, and it changes your 
viewing of the movie. And you, you have to let movies clue you in to their own uh, goals mm-hmm. and let those you let the goals that the movie suggests inform your expectations rather than come into a movie with mm-hmm. a set of expectations and then judge you know judge what's on the screen against your expectations right. that may or may not have anything to do mm-hmm. with the goals of the film yeah. and that is just what everyone does yeah and i mean it's it's very difficult to not do that but the you know the the ideal way to see a movie is just completely blind and open and just let the movie happen to you. It's, it, it, but it's so, it's also, this is something I think about a lot is how kind of literal minded, uh, a lot of people are mm-hmm. watching movies. So I showed a, uh, I showed the Truman show in a class, uh, a couple years ago. And just, just because we were talking about, uh, different sort of critical lenses. And that's a movie that lends its <laughs> lends itself to, uh, <laughs> to many different interpretations. Mm-hmm. And I remember we, we finished it in class and, you know, it's this powerful scene of him, you know, bowing to mm-hmm. Christoph Christov, you know, right. uh, in the sky. It's clearly like Adam walking away from God and, mm-hmm. and, and with full knowledge, just sort of saying, fuck you. And, uh, of course, none of that's going on in, in this kid's mind watching it, but like the mm-hmm. movie ends and this dude in the front row of the class, he just goes, sucks. <laughs> oh my God. Sucked. Wow. And, and, and the, what, what a lot of students didn't like about it is that they wanted to know what happened. Yeah. They like, they needed to know like, where and, did he go? What and, did he do? Right. And it's like, you are thinking about this in a ridiculous way. You know, like this didn't really happen. It yeah. it didn't happen. Exactly. So you're not supposed to be thinking about that no. or, or you're supposed to only be thinking about it. Uh-huh. Like you're, everything that happens is intentional. So if you're thinking what happens, that's what's supposed to be happening. Right. Is you thinking about it as opposed to them showing it to yeah you. there's not like a there is no truman show 2 or like a deleted scene that's going to fill in that gap right. for and, you. Like and everything that, that you saw was created intentionally and that is all that you were supposed to see and that literalism we t- we've talked about this before but that mm-hmm. literalism that so many people come to movies with is i think the culprit in uh sequel culture yeah because there's this demand this market demand if you know you get on the uh, on the internet and people, mm-hmm. I don't know what they do. They have their blogs and their podcasts about, <laughs> yeah. about the movies. And, right. and so there becomes this demand for, Oh, people want to see more of arrested development or whatever it is. Yeah. And so then they make it. And that is so, that can only happen in my mind. That can only happen with sort of crass entertainment mm-hmm. because, because I think you have to, to really understand a piece of art, you have to trust it. You have mm. to say every, you have to believe that what you see or what you read or whatever it is, or what you hear is intentional mm-hmm. and, and part of the vision that has been constructed for you to consider. Right. Um, it's why I don't really like the whole, uh, choose your own adventure thing. Mm-hmm. And, and, 
and it's sort of encroachment, especially now when you see like the blending of narrative and video games, mm-hmm. which is which is cool in its own right. Uh, but it, to me, it's a very different thing than sort of surrendering your will and agency mm-hmm. to the artist, right? right? And you're saying, I'm going to immerse myself in your world for a while mm-hmm. where I don't have any agency. I'm a passive I mean, obviously you're working with the artist because, and this sounds so sort of, I know how this sounds, but I think it's true too. Uh, you're sort of creating a world with the artist because mm-hmm. it's your associations and your the connotations you bring to something. Uh, but when, when you have this sort of choose your own adventure thing or when you're uh, you know, an agent in, in the narrative, like in a video game, it's not the same thing. Mm-hmm. And and I'm not saying it's a bad those are bad things. I'm just saying it's not the same thing. Right. And I like I like the idea of, you know, surrendering yourself for a week reading a book mm-hmm. and you're saying I'm going to trust this writer uh, and I think that's how you really end up getting something out of a work of art is yeah. is having a little bit of faith that somebody maybe more creative than you Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, and that uh, it was thoughtfully constructed. Right. One thing that we see with this being aliens is kind of a way for Carpenter to say that, like, these ideological beliefs are bigger than a country, they're bigger than politics. They're fundamental to humanity so it's not you see them at the like like the airport thing where they're like teleporting yeah it's like so yeah this is a global right and it's so it's not just about although so nada can see and he sees the corruption and everything but it's not just uh, it's bigger than a comment on america like i think the fact that he's willing to die for it at the end to disrupt the signal is him willing to die for these beliefs, but not die for America. I don't think he's doing this because he wants America to be reset, to be able to see. He wants humanity to be better than some constructed political ideology and to really embrace these these traits that are more about being like a good, decent human rather than being a good American. Yeah. Yeah, I think I think uh, the movie's very skeptical of of any sort of national pride. Yeah, you know, I don't for think, sure. I don't think that's there at all. Uh, the ending, strangely, reminds me a lot of the cable. The ending of the Cable Guy. Okay. Yeah. Well, they both kind of end on satellite. On, on dishes. satellite, <laughs> and there's there's you know with the, with all the TV criti- like criticism of television watching in They Live. Um, you know, that, of course, is going on in The Cable Guy as well. I learned the facts of yeah. life from watching the facts of life. Right. And um, it's the idea of, like, shutting that down is in, in order for us to to truly be able to live and, like, define ourselves. Authentically. Yeah, yeah. as real yeah. people. Yeah. Carpenter, for whatever reason, was cursed with not being respected during his time. And I mean, this is the story of many filmmakers, but his movies have come to be appreciated for their depth and their their complexity and their um, the way that they're constructed. Now that he's not no longer making movies, and mm-hmm. he 
all of his movies, I think it was a series of, he made terrific movies that were, you know, Halloween made enough money where he could kind of go on and do some more things. And then the thing, which is, I mean, widely regarded as his, his masterpiece was just a total flop. When the thing came out, which was sort of this culminating movie where he had built off everything he'd done before, America was no longer in that cynical, pessimistic mood. It opened against E.T., and people chose E.T. That's what they wanted. They wanted Spielberg. They wanted family-friendly. They weren't. They no longer were in this moment where they could appreciate or even want anything to do with a movie like The Thing. Oh, well, you mentioned... Uh... Uh, Reagan and Reaganomics. I mean, the the choice of Reagan over a second Jimmy Carter term is mm. is the choice of exactly ET over any sort of well, and you know, it was that was the exact moment in yeah. history. Was, Jimmy, that's Jimmy when that Carter, happened. you know, went on TV and gave his malaise speech about how uh, there's an energy crisis and we can't continue to uh, you know live the way we're living and mm-hmm. everyone said fuck this let's vote for an actor who'll tell us what we want to hear about yeah. the shining city on a hill mm-hmm. and yeah yeah um so he carpenter was unlucky in that his movies came out at the wrong time whenever every time one would come out it people usually weren't ready for it and they just didn't perform well it took people years to appreciate well, them. It, well, it's also it's also only recently, like in academic scholarship, recently mm-hmm. within the last 10, 15 years, that people even think about taking a, a genre film. Oh yeah, uh, seriously mm-hmm. as as a scholar, and that's largely due to the the rise in you know just in pop culture scholarship. Mm-hmm. Uh, so when you say they weren't ready for it, it's like they probably weren't even people. People who would have elevated his work critically probably weren't even watching this. Yeah, it was just like dismissed categorically. Mm-hmm. So, final verdict, Will. It's similar to to Blade Runner in that I was interested, mm-hmm. I was entertained, I liked that it didn't take itself too seriously. Blade Runner definitely takes itself a little more seriously, for sure, and and its style reflects that. It's, mm-hmm. it's that's not a, a criticism, um, but it, uh, I wasn't moved. I was entertained, mm-hmm. and you know had some thoughts provoked. Right. So middle, middle of the road in terms of my importance to me. Yeah. Well, you know, I came here to get to drink Diet Pepsi and to get your opinion on They Live. And, and you're almost out of my opinion on They Live. Okay. Yeah. See what I did there? Yeah. You, what you did is Flip you, the <laughs> you did. <laughs> <laughs> um, so thank you guys so much for listening. Uh, we'll be back in two weeks with episode three. 
Uh, in the meantime, check out our website, willwatcheskoreyscanon.com. You will find all current and prior episodes on that website. You can also find us on Instagram and Twitter, WWCC Podcast as uh, a handle on both of those. And um, yeah, stay cool. Uh, <laughs> Still working on the catchphrase. <laughs> That's the sign off always. Stay cool. <laughs>